Good morning. So I just wanted to start out with that little video um, to give you guys a little bit of a, uh, an idea of what we're going to be talking about tonight. Um, I know we have some big basketball games going on tonight, so I'm trying to, you know, trying to pull you in one direction here to, to get you to come even while Michigan State is playing. Um, but no, God is doing some neat things in the Cora Valley, um, and we're really excited to share these things with you guys. Um, and so please, if you, you know, if you can, come back tonight, and we would love for you guys to see what God has been doing in the Cora Valley. Um, it's been interesting, um, you know, our, I guess in a way my ministry has changed in, from this term, this term has changed from what it was a couple, or two terms ago. You know, I've been doing a lot more teaching, a lot more discipleship than I was before, because before I was just learning language. Um, and so it's been interesting, because now I come back here, um, on furlough, and I'm doing a lot more teaching and preaching as well and sharing our ministry and just seeing the differences in the different cultures is always interesting, you know. Um, in the Cora Valley, it's a lot more, uh, it's a lot more teaching, teaching type, and so it's a lot more interactive, which is good, and I like that, but I was talking with my parents last night about some of the downsides of the interaction. Um, you know, there's differences in Cora. So, you know, in America here, it, we know that it's, it's rude to yawn while somebody's talking to you or while somebody's teaching. Um, even if you are tired, even if you are bored, I assume nobody's going to be yawning this morning. If they do, they're going to keep it to themselves, I hope. But in the Korah, it's, it, it's not like that. It's, it doesn't apply, you know. And so you're in the middle of teaching, and all of a sudden there's a, just, I mean, that loud, you know. And you're like, you like kind of just have to step back and like, okay, I'm not in American culture. I'm in Korah culture. Okay, and just keep going. Um, the best one is, uh, you know, we have our core of friends have been our teachers for a long time, you know, for, I guess, five, six years. They've been teaching us, and then all of a sudden we step in the teaching role, teaching them about what Christ has done for them, but it doesn't necessarily change the way they think about us being their students. And so even while I'm up here teaching, many times they'll correct you right from the, right, you know, they're sitting out there and, no, you said that wrong, you know, and that's one of the polite ways they say it, you know, and then a couple of them, you know, they just, uh, one guy, Anus, you know, he's been our teacher for a long time, and, and he'll be sitting out there, you'll say something, and, oh, man, you're such an idiot, I can't believe you said it like that, you say it like this, and, and you're like, okay, thanks, appreciate that, Anus, I'm, I'm speaking in front of people here, but, you know, some cultural differences that we see in the Cora Valley, so it's, it's all good fun. So, this morning, what I want to talk to you about, uh, it's something that God has uh, put on my heart um, for a long time. Um, this last term, it's been on my heart a lot. Um, and, and it's on, I think, a lot of missionaries' hearts when we come back to our home country. We've been ministering to people. You know, what I want to see in the Cora Valley is I want to see people become impassioned for what God has done for them. Um, and so when I come back to my own, my home country, my own people, per se, I want to see people become impassioned and on fire for what God has done for them. And I want to see them have a passion for sharing their faith with other people. And you know, I think like many missionaries, we, th we sit and I think, and, and I think, how can I do that? How can I do that as I speak to people? How can I get them excited about what God is doing, what God has done? Um, and I had, to, I had to kind of reflect on myself um, and for those of you guys who know my testimony, I'm not going to go into it today, but um, there was a time where I felt that, that impact, 
where I felt a change in my life, where the gospel really, where, where I really understood what Christ has done for me. And, and I thought back to, okay, when did that, in a sense, that fire get lit under me? What lit that fire in me? And as I thought about it, I realized that it was just that. It wasn't anything extraordinary. It wasn't like a, a special note in the sky or a special calling or anything like that, but it was a a deeper understanding of the gospel. An understanding of, of who God is, and I guess in a sense, what I want to talk about this morning is it's a sense of, of seeing the Lord. And I'm not talking about, I'm not saying that I physically saw the Lord. I'm not saying that. But it's seeing God in a, in a deeper way. We're never going to understand who God is fully. I Sometimes I think, you know, are we even going to understand fully when we see him, you know? I mean, I know that it says we will, we will fully know at that time, but it's like God is so big, so huge. So I'm not saying that we'll ever understand him here on earth at least fully. But when we get, a, you know, when I got a, a little bit more of a glimpse of who he is. And so that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about um, people from God's word who saw the Lord. Um, yeah, some people did physically see him, but I'm talking about that deeper understanding of who God is and what he's done for us. So the first guy that comes to my mind is Job. Okay, so we have a guy like Job. Job is already, it says, uh, Job was blameless. We know that when Satan came to God and, you know, questioned God, God's like, hey, look at my servant Job. So obviously Job was close with God. Obviously Job uh, was, knew a lot about the Lord. But as through the book of Job, we look, at, we look at how God reveals himself a little bit more to Job. Through the book of Job, he's, he reveals himself a little bit more. And, and when Job gets a little bit, just a little bit more, that he sees a little bit more of who God is, his mind is blown. He's just like, no way. And we see this in um, Job chapter 42, verses 5 through 6. And it says there, I had only heard about you before, but now I have seen you with my own eyes. I take back everything I have said, and I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. So here's Job, a man that, a man that says he was blameless, and at least in the sight of other people, a man who was close to God, and yet when God shows him just a little bit more, he's like, no way. I, I, like, I had heard about God before. I knew some things about God before, but now I have seen the Lord. Like, I've seen him, and, and he, sits, he says that, and I sit in dust and ashes. He was flattened before God because he saw the Lord. He saw the greatness, the glory of God and who God is. <clears throat> Excuse me. Another guy, the Apostle Paul. And we know the story of the Apostle Paul um, before he was called Saul. And Saul was a persecutor of the church. Saul was self-righteous. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He thought that he could be good with God, right with God on his own. With his own goodness, he could become right with God. And so the teaching of Jesus and Jesus' followers flew in the face of everything Paul believed. That he couldn't be right with God on his own. That he needed somebody to take his penalty, his punishment for him. And so he hated Christians. He hated Jesus. He hated Jesus' followers. And he's killing Christians. He's imprisoning Christians. He's going down this road to Damascus to do that very same thing. And what happens? He sees Jesus. The light comes down. He hears the voice of Jesus. He's, he's knocked blind. 
And he continues on from there in a totally different direction. God spins him on his head, flips him around, sends him 180 degrees in the opposite direction, and Paul's life is never the same. What was it? It was seeing the Lord. It was, seeing, it, was, it was having that encounter, that experience with Jesus and who Jesus was, what Jesus had done, and it totally changed him. Totally. We look at the New Testament. He goes from a, a killer of Christians, a persecutor of Christians, going in the opposite direction, and now he's like more on fire than anybody, and he's preaching the gospel to people who are now trying to kill him because before they were on his side trying to kill Christians. And it's just, you see this huge change in him. And the last guy I want to talk about, and I want to spend the most time about, one of my favorite ones is Isaiah. And if you have your Bibles, please turn to Isaiah chapter 6. We're going to read verses 1 through 4. Isaiah as well has an encounter with God. Isaiah chapter 6 Verses 1 through 4. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. So here's Isaiah, little Isaiah. And I say little Isaiah because he is about to feel really, really small. Because he's standing there, he's sitting there, I don't know, but he, all of a sudden he sees the Lord. He sees the Lord in his, in, on his lofty throne, in the train of his robe filling this whole temple. There's smoke and he's just blown away by the glory of God. And that's not it. But we see these seraphim, these angelic beings. I mean, these angelic beings, I'm sure, are not wimpy beings. These are powerful beings. And they're, they have six wings. And they're flying with two of them. And the other four, they're covering themselves. And they're flying and they're covering their faces. And they're saying, no, God, you're so holy. God, you're so far above us. The whole earth is filled with your glory. We can't even look at you because you're holy. They're covering themselves because they're undone by the greatness of who God is. They're undone at the glory of God. And then there's poor Isaiah. He says he saw the Lord, so he forgot the memo to cover his face. And he sees the Lord. These angelic beings won't even look at God. They're so undone by who God is, they won't even look at God. And here's Isaiah. And he saw him. And it says in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5, Isaiah said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts, Isaiah sees God, and he becomes totally undone. As God's glory, as God's awesomeness, as, as God's power and majesty are just displayed before him in such an awesome, grandeur way, all of a sudden Isaiah's sinfulness really becomes apparent. 
And he's like, no, I'm a sinner. He looks at himself, he's like, no, I, I can't see God. Sinfulness cannot be in God's presence, no. And he becomes undone in the presence of God and he says, I'm a goner, I'm dead, I'm lost. He looks at him, he says, God's nothing like me. God is so far above me. Do you guys get this? Are you guys getting this picture? Because the contrast was so huge in Isaiah's mind that he became undone. And you know what? I bet he covered his face pretty stinking fast after that. Because he said, no, I've just seen God, me and my sinfulness, my unworthiness, and I've just seen God. And he becomes undone in the presence of God's holiness and his glory. And at that point, he's like, I'm, I'm gone. I'm a goner. I'm dead. I deserve death. He understood that we as human beings un- deserve separation and death because we're sinners. He understood that. And he's like, I'm gone. I'm dead. And he was undone. Thankfully, God's word doesn't stop there. As with our story, it doesn't stop there. If he, uh, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 6. It says, then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and he said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Guys, there's there's a lot of symbolism there, but what I want to focus on is that idea of his sins being atoned for. Forgiveness, your sins are forgiven. Once again, guys, remember where Isaiah was, where he was standing. He was standing in the presence of the Almighty God. He's looking at himself and his sinfulness and his, and his dirtiness. And he's like, I'm gone. I'm undone. He's unraveled. And he's just, I, I'm assuming at that point, he's probably fallen on the floor. And he's like, I'm, I'm dead. And then this seraphim flies up to him. And he touches his lips with this coal. And he says, your sins have been atoned for. Your sins have been forgiven. They've been taken away. And Isaiah's just like, no way. Guys, have we experienced that in our lives? Have we felt that as that forgiveness just washes over him? As he was undone, he was at the end of his rope. He was like, there is no hope for me. And then the cold touches his lips, and he's forgiven. Have we come to that point? Have we realized that? Have we been in the presence of God where we're like, no, stop, I can't look at God. No, he's too holy, he's too good. I am so sinful. Have we come undone, and then all of a sudden, God's grace just washes over us. And it's like, oh, I'm forgiven. I'm free. I can be in God's presence because his grace is washed over me. Isaiah didn't leave that situation the same. He didn't just get his sins forgiven in the presence of Almighty God and leave unchanged. This is what happens to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8, continuing on. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who's going to go for us? And then I said, Here am I, send me. Okay, so at that point, I mean, Isaiah's just, uh, you know, we've already looked at what Isaiah's gone through. He's just been blown away. 
And then God says, I got a message that I need somebody to take for me. Who should I send? <laughs> and, you know, what do you think Isaiah's response is? Like, okay, God, let me think about that, you know. I'm going to have to check out my life plans to see if that's going to fit in a little bit. Uh, I mean, thanks for forgiving my sins and all. But, you know, I'm, I'm kind of getting, I'm, I'm a little too young or maybe I'm getting a little too old for this. I'm not sure. No, Isaiah's response was not like that. He had just seen the glory of God. He had just seen the awesomeness of God. He had just felt the weight of his sinfulness as he's standing before God. And then he feels the grace of God wash over him as his sins are forgiven. And then God says, I got a message I need to send. Who's going to take it for me? And you know, this translation here, it says, here am I, send me. And that sounds, to me, I don't think that's what Isaiah said. I, I think he said it a little bit different. I think he said, God, pick me, pick me. I want to go. I've been forgiven. In the presence of Almighty God, my sins have been cleansed. They've been taken away. Pick me. I want to go. There was no guilting him into going. There was no saying, Isaiah, you really should go. Look at all that God has done for you. No, Isaiah was standing there. I think he was jumping up and down in the presence of God. Please send me. I've been forgiven. I've been changed. You see, when people who have seen the Lord and they've understood their unworthiness in the sight of his worthiness and then have their, their, sins, their sins forgiven, they've been cleansed, their sins have been taken away, they change. It's just how it is. You change. How many people do you know who go through like a, a major natural disaster or a, or a plane wreck or a major car wreck or something huge that impacts their life and they walk away from it and they're not changed? And they're like, yeah, I don't know. What, what are you talking about? I don't even know what that's about. I mean, come on, seriously. When something like that happens huge in our life, we change. It's just how it is. So this is the thing, guys. For those of us who have been saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ... Something huge has happened to us. And I want to run through that with you here. I don't have a ton of time to lay this all out, but I'm going to lay it out the best as I can because I want us to get the picture of what has happened to us. We've already looked at God. We've already seen, we've looked at what Isaiah saw. We've already, we've already established that God is holy, like blow your mind out of this world crazy, woe is me, don't, I can't even look at God type holy. So far above us, we can't even contemplate it holy. That's God. And yet we see man. And after the fall of Adam and Eve, we see man. We're sinners. We're sinful. I mean, you can't, you can't really, I don't know if we can even understand how far those two are apart. God in his holiness, us in our sinfulness. I don't know if we can fully even understand that, but we have to try to get that picture. We're sinful. It says in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and they've fallen short of the glory of God. We've fallen short of the glory of God. So what is our natural instinct as human beings? Okay, I've fallen. Now it's time to get up. I've got to pick myself up. I've got to brush myself off. I've got to get, get my act together. So I can get right with God again. Bad news there, because right before that it says in Romans 3.20, no one will ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. 
The law simply shows us how sinful we are. There's nothing we can do to make us right with God or even less sinful on our own. The fact of the matter is we are totally, we are sinful people, totally separated. Apart from Christ, we're totally separated from God. And the penalty for our sin is death. Total separation from God for eternity. And you know what? We have to understand this, guys, to get the whole picture. We have to understand because apart from Christ, there is nothing that we can do. We can dress ourselves up. We can try to look good. We can come to church every Sunday and Wednesday, whatever you want. We can do anything we want and become like the Pharisees of the Bible. We can try and try and try, but it will never, ever, ever make us right with God. And we have to get to that understanding. We have to get to the end of ourselves so we can be like Isaiah and we can look at God's holiness and say, no, God, I can't even look at you. You're so holy. I am so sinful. And we have to come to the end of ourselves like Isaiah did in order to fully get impacted by what's been done for us. So while we're there standing helpless, you know, and I love that picture of Isaiah because, you know, I don't think he was standing anymore. I think he was... I see him just like laying on the floor, his eyes closed and just like, I'm gone. That's where we have to get because while we're there, while we're sinners and we're just like, no, we're at the end of ourselves. God does something crazy, something unthinkable, something that if we really get it, if we really understand it, it will change us. If we really grasp it, it will change us like it changed Isaiah. It says in Romans 5.8, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we're sinners, while we're there laying flat and just like, oh, we're gone. While we're still sinners, while we were still objects of God's wrath, while we were still children of Satan, while we were still God-haters, he died for us. It wasn't like God said, okay, you know what? You guys, get your act together. Good grief. Start doing good. Start, start getting your life together, and then we're going to talk. Then we'll work something out. Then maybe I can help you out. No, that's not what God did. That's not what God said. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus, who is God, came to this earth to die in our place. You see, God is holy. He is just. He is perfect. He is righteous. And so when he said that death was the penalty for sin, then death is the penalty of sin, for sin. He can't do like so many of us parents do and, and say, well, I know I said that, but just don't do it again. He, he doesn't do that. So he said death is the penalty for sin. Death is the pe penalty for sin. And that's what we owed. So there was no just God saying, okay, never mind. Let, just don't do it again. No, he had to pay for it if we weren't going to pay for it. We had that penalty on ourselves. We owed this death debt to God for our sins, separation from God. That was what was on us, and yet Jesus came down, and he takes that for us. He takes all of our sin, all of our unworthiness, all of our dirtiness, filthiness, he takes it upon himself. And he dies in our place. We don't deserve that. We deserve God's wrath. And yet he takes it upon himself. He takes the punishment that comes with sin. He takes the beatings that we should have gotten. 
He dies in our place. But because he is God, because he was sinless, he is sinless, he raises again and he defeats death so that we can have life through him. In Romans 5.16 it says, For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. See, Adam sinned, and so it plunged the whole human race into sin. No exceptions. The whole human race, it plunged us into a separation from God, and there was nothing we could do about it. But when Jesus died, even though we were guilty of many sins, he made a way for us to be right with God. And this is a free gift. There's nothing we can do to earn it. There's nothing we have to do. We just have to accept it. We have to trust that Christ died in our place. And when we do... The coal touches our lips. Our sins are forgiven. Our sins are washed away. That's the beauty of the gospel. So once again, and I'm going to be going back here again because we've got to get this picture. We've got to understand this picture of who we were. So many times in the gospel, we focus a lot on the good news, and that is good. We have to focus on what Jesus has done, but we also have to remember where we've come from, who we were. We have to see that separation. We have to see that magnitude like Isaiah did. It says in Romans 3, and guys, this isn't in the PowerPoint, sorry, because I'm just going to paraphrase it. It says in Romans 3, we are unrighteous. Like unrighteous meaning we're not good. We are, we are sinful. We are not right with God. It says we don't seek God. It says we've turned away. And then it gets worse. It says like the, the words that come out of our mouth is like the stench of an open grave. We rush to commit murder. Our tongues are filled with lies and so on and so on. And I'm repeating this so that we can understand our sinfulness. Apart from Christ, we can understand our sinfulness in light of how, God, of how holy God is. It's not just like, well, nobody's perfect. I guess I'm not too, you know, I'm a sinner, I guess, like everybody else. No, it's not. It's that, no. If, if that's what we think of ourselves, we are getting the wrong picture. we got to look at Romans 3 and see that apart from Christ, we are depraved. We are separated. We are lost. We have to see that so that we can fall on our knees before God like Isaiah did and say, Woe is me. I'm undone. I'm guilty. I'm a sinner. That's where we start. But for those of us who have trusted Christ, and now this is where we get into the good part, for those of us who have trusted Christ, things have changed. We've gone from objects of God's wrath to objects of his grace. We've gone from children of Satan to children of God. It says in Romans 5.18, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Guys, we've been adopted into God's family. And his spirit lives within us if we've trusted Christ as our Savior. And now we call him Abba, Father. That's like Daddy. Now we call him Daddy. Like that, that, that close connection of what a, a little child who calls their, their, parent, his father, their father Daddy. As you guys know, we are about four, 
to five days away from going to pick up our child from China. We're adopting from China. And guys, when we adopt him, when we bring him back, he's not going to be like half my son, kind of my son, different than my other son. He's going to be a full son of mine. When we bring him back, he's going to become a Schaefer. He's going to have a new name. He's going to have a new family. That's the picture of adoption. Now the same thing, if you have trusted Christ as your Savior, the same thing has happened to you. You've been taken out of Satan's family, where you were objects of God's wrath, where you deserved death and separation from God, and now you've been brought into the family of God. You've been adopted, and now we say, Daddy, Father, Dad, thank you. It says in Romans 8, 17, we are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Like, we have an inheritance now. Like, we're fully in God's family now. Ephesians 2, 6, it says that in God's sight, we are seated with Christ in heaven. And I love this picture because, you guys, if, okay, so remember, where we've come from, Sinners before God, and yet we've been, if we've trusted Christ as our Savior, we've been taken out of that. And it says that, what does it say? Forgot. That we are seated in God's sight, we are seated with Christ in heaven. Like, do you guys get this? Like, we all know that we still struggle with sin. We're still sinners. But in God's sight, we are seated with Christ in heaven. Our position before God is seated with Christ in heaven. It gets better. It says in Ephesians 1, 19 through 20, it tells us that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is now available to us. In fact, it lives in us. The Holy Spirit lives in us. That same power that rose Jesus from the dead is in us. Like, guys, we've, like, we were just objects of God's wrath. We were just deserving to be separate, and now he lives in us? Like, do you see why Isaiah's mind was blown? I'm, I'm hoping your guys' minds are all, all as well getting blown by the greatness of what God has done for us. He sees us as, as seated in the heavenlies. It says in Romans 8.1, and I think I skipped that one. Sorry, guys. It says there are no condemnation. There is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ. Another aspect of what the gospel has done for us. He sees us as being in Christ, like covered by Christ. In, like when he looks down at us, you know who he sees? He sees Christ. When God looks down at me, he doesn't see me in my sinfulness, but he sees Christ because I'm in Christ. But I used to be not in Christ. I used to be an object of God's wrath, but now I'm in Christ. When he looks at me, he sees his son Even though before we used to be sinful objects of God's wrath, it says in 1 Corinthians 6.11, that's what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. Guys, now 
We can come boldly before the, the throne of God. That same God that we looked at before and we were saying, no, woe, woe is me. I can't be in his presence. I can't be in his sight. That same God that, that terrified us, we should still have that. He should still be that big before us. But now, you know what? We can go right up to him and say, Dad, based not on our goodness, not on our good works, but based on the blood of Christ, we can go right boldly before him. With no fear, for perfect love drives out all fear. That perfect love is not our love. That perfect love is God's love for us. Do we get this? Do we see the picture? Do we get the magnitude of what's been done for us in spite of who we were? Because if we do, then the rest of the sermon is real simple. If we get this, if we understand it, the rest of it is all very simple. You see, Isaiah understood. He understood the magnitude of, of, of his sinfulness before God, his unworthiness. He understood more of God, of who he was, of his greatness. He understood the difference, the, the, the gap, I guess you could say, between the two of them. And then the coal touched his lips. Then the grace washed over him. Then he felt the forgiveness Then he heard, you are cleansed. Your sins are atoned for. And you know what? What was his response? Pick me. I want to go. There was no, maybe I should, I don't know. There was no hee-hawing. There was no like, I don't know, I'm not really sure. It was just like, send me. I've got a message to tell people. I want to go. Send me. Pick me, please. Because I've been changed. I've been forgiven. I've been cleansed in the presence of the Almighty God. Pick me. He desired to be used. And you know what? From that point on, I don't think Isaiah could be the same. He changed. Job changed. The Apostle Paul changed. You look through Scripture. Peter, some of those stories, from the, they changed. After the gospel impacted their lives after they understood. So my question is, for us today, have we seen the Lord? And I hope by now you understand what I'm saying when I say see the Lord. Have we understood what has been done for us? Because you guys, there are people all around us that don't know this message. This is missions month here. There's people all around us in your church, in your in your schools, in your in your work. It's here in St. John's, in Michigan, and in the U.S. And then, as you guys know, all around the world, there's people who don't know this message, and they're still standing before an Almighty God. And one day they're going to stand before Him, and they're going to say, "No, woe is me! I can't look at Him. He's so holy, and I'm so sinful." And you know what? At that point, it's going to be too late. There's still a chance now. If we have seen God in his holiness, if we've understood his greatness, and in light of that we've looked at ourselves and we've seen our sinfulness and we've seen our unworthiness and we've been undone in the presence of God and we just couldn't look and we've, we've been at the end of that rope and we've said, no, woe is me. And then at that same time we've seen or we've felt the grace of God wash over us. 
if we've felt that coal touch our lips, if we've heard those words, your sins are forgiven. Then we change. In that same call that God said to Isaiah, who will go? Who should I send? Who's going to go for me? That same call he says to us, who should I send? And I believe that if we get this, what we're talking about this morning, if we get this, if we understand it, if we fully grasp it, not just with our head, but our hearts, then we won't have to be coaxed into saying, hey, you really should think about telling your coworker." I think, man, you should really, you know, think of how you can do this and talk to your neighbors. We won't need to be coaxed into doing that, but we'll say, here am I, pick me, send me, I want to go. I've been changed, I've been forgiven by the gospel of God's grace. Pick me, I want to go. Let's pray. Dear Holy Father, Lord, we can't even fully comprehend who you are. But we see from your word, we see from your creation, we see from the way you work in this world, we see your greatness, how glorious you are, how perfect, how holy, how far above you are than us, Lord. And we stand in amazement of that. We, we, we fall on our knees before you as we look at that, Lord. Because in light of that, we see our unworthiness, Lord. I I see myself. I see my unworthiness. I see how I deserve your wrath. I don't deserve your grace, Lord. But that is the amazing thing about your mercy and your grace is you give us. You don't give us what what we deserve. And then you go above and beyond that and you give us forgiveness. You are so good, God. You are so faithful. You are so good and so loving and we just stand in awe of who you are and I pray Lord that that awe of who you are the magnitude of who you are what you've done for us I pray that it would impact our lives that it would change us that it would leave us not the same but it would change us it would give us a passion for telling people what has been done for them too because it's been done for them they just need to accept it they need to hear it and believe it and accept it and so I just pray that you would impassion us light a fire under us to see your word taken to the nations, Lord. And we thank you for that. We praise your name. In your name, amen.